I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable, high-speed internet. Today, I'm joined by Chris Werman, co-founder of the digital equity nonprofit fund Connect Humanity, as well as Catalina Escobar, co-founder at Makaya, a nonprofit founded and based in Colombia. We discussed a recent report from Connect Humanity about how the digital divide is impacting the work of civil society organizations around the world, like Makaya, while 95% of those organizations said the internet is vital to their ability to do their work, three in four said various digital inequities limit their ability to serve their communities. We get into the details of that report and how the digital divide is hurting both civil society organizations and the communities they serve, and we discuss the need for new funding sources, policies, research, and solutions. All right, Chris and Catalina, thank you so much for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Um, Since I have two of you on here, I'd love to give you both an opportunity to just introduce yourselves and your organizations briefly, and then we can dive right in. Um, Catalina, let's start with you. Thank you, Nicole, for hosting us and for having this podcast. My name is Catalina Escobar. I am the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Macaya. Macaya is a nonprofit created and based in Colombia. I am based in Medellin. And what we do is that we build capacities for social development using technology, innovation, and resource mobilization. We work throughout Colombia and in other countries in Latin America. Thank you for hosting us. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Chris, uh, how about you? Quick introduction. Sure thing. Chris Warman. I'm the co-founder of Connect Humanity. We are a nonprofit fund for digital equity. We support communities who are seeking to make progress down the road towards digital equity with grants and loans. Excellent. A very important job you're doing. So, um, You all, Chris, sticking with you, you all recently put out a report, uh, State of Digital Inequity, Civil Society Perspectives on Barriers to Progress in Our Digitizing World. Um, So I invited you both here to talk about that today. Um, So just to start off, Chris, can you give a little background on the report? Um, What did you set out to learn? Who did you survey? Um, And why why the focus on civil society um, organizations? Sure. Uh, One of my favorite quotes about civil society is that civil society speaks for those yet to be born. It is equally true that civil society speaks with and for those without political voice. We surveyed civil society for two reasons then. First, because many of them have dedicated their lives to serving individuals who are generally excluded from and not online, who therefore cannot easily speak or advocate for themselves especially when it comes to gathering information through an online survey, a tool that is simultaneously useful in how many it can reach and limited in that it can only reach those online. So second reason we surveyed civil society is that access to the internet and access to information are rights denied to half of humanity. Mm -hmm. The rights we enjoy were fought for and won by civil society. The same will be true when it comes to digital equity. Civil society has to learn how to engage. Most haven't. It's a critical issue. This survey helped the civil society participants think about what digital equity means to their communities and work and hopefully opens a door to engaging with them further. So as much as we set out to learn what barriers civil society and those they serve face, we set out to gauge civil society's appetite to engage in this discussion. Considering the number of respondents, 7,500 from 134 countries was amongst the third highest of any survey of civil society that I know of, and that nearly all of the respondents said they wanted to stay engaged, I think we can conclude there's some appetite, which 
isn't surprising considering the amount of pain witnessed and felt by those struggling with digital inequity. Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to come to you in a minute, Catalina, to hear about your personal experience with your organization. But Chris, just to stick with the high level here, um, can you give me some top takeaways? What are the main barriers that these organizations and their communities are facing um, when it comes to internet access and adoption? Um, and did you get a sense of how these challenges are differing in different regions of the world? Sure. So the big takeaway um, from this 95% of civil society organizations and of those who took this, they represent about 190 million people. That's something to keep in mind. 95% of the organizations say that internet access is vital to their ability to do their work. Three and four say that a lack of internet access tools or skills has limited their ability to serve their communities effectively. So on one hand, it's extremely important. On the other hand, they don't have what they need. Across the world, uh, persistent digital gaps prevent civil society from delivering for the world's most marginalized people. A respondent who provides child education programs in India put it fairly bluntly, COVID showed us how important digital connectivity is. We were not able to connect with over half of our community or our team because of a lack of internet. We cannot reach children with educational services because they lacked connectivity. We've heard the same from educators, healthcare providers, food banks, shelters, disaster resiliency coordinators, you name it. In terms of differences around the world, there really weren't any. This mm -hmm. is something that faced everybody. Second point, digital skills emerged as one of the top barriers for both civil society and the people they served. Only 12% of those who responded to the survey agreed that their employees in uh, their organizations were well-trained on the software and technologies they use. This was interestingly lower in the global north than in the global south. So more people in the global south were trained, but only by a couple percent. This is important because it stands to reason that if we want to see our most marginalized communities served, and there's some assumption that many of those services might be most effective, adaptive, and deliverable at scale with technology, then the people providing the services need to be enabled themselves. We have got to be investing in digital skills. Otherwise, as someone once said, you might have infrastructure and devices, but without skills, all you have is a box with flashing lights. Mm -hmm. The third set of findings, um, really sort of key set was around affordability. Affordability is a barrier for civil society organizations and the people they serve. More than 40% of the folks saying that they couldn't really couldn't afford to pay for internet service. 60% saying the price is too high for the people they serve. This is a much bigger struggle in the global south, where almost half said they can't afford services versus in the north, where it was about 40%. Unfortunately, this plays out in some pretty horrific ways, as I'm sure you're aware. The least served, both the poorest and greatest in need, are often charged the highest prices for the worst service because companies simply haven't invested in their communities. Last thing I'll say on this sort of optimistically, 91% of respondents believe that internet access is a basic right. Whereas we used to have to make the case for expanding internet access, people get it today. And with partners like Catalina, we're certainly doing what we can to help catalyze that understanding around actionable models to ensure everyone can fully participate in our digitizing world. 
Yeah, uh, COVID definitely changed the game in terms of people's understanding of this as a necessary uh, utility. Um, so Catalina, coming back to you then, you talked a little bit about what your organization does at the top. Um, maybe you can give us a few more examples. Uh, I, I think your, your work overlaps with offering people digital skills. Tell me a bit about the services you offer, where you work. Yeah, so we work in most of Colombia and we also work in other countries in Latin America um, with digital programs and services. One of the biggest ones is that we manage tech soups, donations and discount program for civil society organizations in 14 countries in Latin America. So we're very familiar with the realities of Latin American CSOs in relation to technology. So we have like two lines of work. One for communities where we teach um, digital skills and we give them the necessary skills for them to empower communities to be change agents and to maximize their potential. So that could be a lot of things. That could be giving a teacher the skills she needs to be a better teacher using technology. This could also mean giving a coffee grower the skills he needs to grow better crops and with better quality. So this means a lot of things for communities. And we work on a full spectrum of technologies from super basic digital literacy skills to more advanced skills. For instance, we have a boot camp in which we teach youth how to code and to program and help them find jobs. So the spectrum is really broad. So that's the work that we do directly with communities. And the other work that we do is with CSOs, with foundations, nonprofits, and civil society organizations, helping them become digitally resilient and helping them uh, in their digital transformation and acceleration processes. And that also means a lot of work around capacity building, software donations, software discounts, uh, training, face-to-face activities, virtual activities, a little bit of everything. But um, in a nutshell, we have these two sort of targets, communities and other CSOs, and helping them, uh, empowering them with technology to become change agents. That's fantastic. Um, So tell me a little bit then about the barriers that you're facing, both internally as an organization trying to deliver these services, um, as well as the barriers that the the communities uh, you're trying to service are facing in in getting your services. Yeah. So internally, I see like two big barriers. One is the um, investments in technology. It's always like the last item in our budget because we prioritize the services that we deliver to the community. Um, And we should not. I mean, we should invest in technology, in tools, and in in internal capacity building for our team. So I see that as a a barrier. Um, There's also a barrier when we go into the field. Like, basically, if we get out of the city, chances are that our team is not going to be connected. So this becomes... A, a challenge because our work cannot be as efficient, as effective as it could be if we were 100% connected. So those are like two barriers that I see internally in our team. And with the communities that we work, I see um, th- directly with communities, the lack of stable 
uh, digital access, this is a huge barrier. For example, in the work that we've done with coffee growers, they didn't have uh, internet connectivity in their farms. They would have to walk or to go to a school or to a library to get a stable internet access, internet connectivity. So that's definitely um, a, a challenge that we see. And, and you know what is, now that I think about it, is even a greater challenge because of the perception of connectivity that a country like Colombia has. Mm. So if you look at international standards, you would think that Colombia is relatively well connected. But if you sort of dig into that information, we're not that connected. I mean, the right. cities are connected, but right. the countryside is not connected. So right. there's a challenge there. There's also a challenge in skills and in how people are really using um, connectivity and digital contents. So there's a lack of skills. And finally, what we see um, with CSOs, which is the other line of our work, is definitely challenges around skills, around infrastructure, around the use of data. I mean, because if they're not fully connected, how are they gonna use data strategically? to advance their mission. And also I see like a, like a challenge with, with the use of technology, again, because of not having stable internet connectivity. So we're asking, for example, CSOs, you should move to the cloud. You should use cloud-based services and applications. Actually, many tech companies are moving everything into the cloud, but come on, how is that gonna be possible right. if there's not and stable, a stable internet connectivity. So how are you going to rely on the cloud if you don't have the fundamentals right. to bring everything to the cloud? Of course. So, you know, presumably a, an organization like yours doesn't say, well, sorry, you don't have adequate internet access. We can't help you. So what are some ways that you, pro you problem solve around these issues? How do you reach people who don't have the access or don't have the skills? Um, and what would help you reach more? more people, uh, more effectively, partnerships, funding, like what What do you need? Yeah, so we, we cannot tell that to them, obviously. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so we've held communities in different, in different ways. Uh, one is that we have taken connectivity to communities that they didn't have it. We, a couple of years ago, we implemented a project using TV white spaces to bring internet connectivity to super isolated communities. But Nicole, we do this because we have to, but this, this should not be Makaya's sort of mission to bring right. connectivity. But if in that case, we had to, otherwise we couldn't do like digital literacy training. So we've uh, one of the things that we've done is deliver connectivity, like the actual cables and, and, <laughs> and, and, and broadband. Um, other type of things that we do is, for example, in the bootcamp that we have for uh, vulnerable youth, they are everywhere. They are throughout Colombia. And sometimes they don't have computers or they don't have internet access. So we have like, um, I don't know if this is the right word in English, like a rotatory fund of computers. So when one of them doesn't have, don't have a computer, uh, we give them a computer and they have to give it back to us okay. once they find a job. So we ensure that they have the device during training and during the process of employability. And if they don't have internet access, 
usually it's because they can't pay it. So there's the affordability issue. We give them like prepaid internet cards because the donors give us computers and prepaid internet cards because internet access and affordability should not be an additional barrier for them to find a job in technology. Right. So that's another type of thing that we do. Um, and the other thing, I mean, we do a lot of things, but this last one is is sort of something that we've been doing lately, and is the rea- the understanding that our contents and tools need to be accessible regardless of the device mm-hmm. that the person has. So this means that we need to design contents and tools for low bandwidth settings or for settings where people have on and off connectivity. Right. And this last item, which is like a recent realization that we have had, uh, is, is where we need most help. Because we need knowledge, for example, like tech knowledge on yeah. how to design a, a, a applications and tools that can be used online and offline. And pe- when people get connected, uh, data is uploaded. Uh, or, for example, WhatsApp bots and tools that are super smart and super intelligent that yeah. we can use for training and for capacity building. Everybody was has WhatsApp. So uh, uh, that's where we need help. How to design tools that can be used in a low bandwidth setting and also, of course, the funding to get those skills and those tech capacities to continue uh, further developing these type of tools to reach everybody. Right. Well, hopefully someone listening to this can uh, make that tool for you and can can reach out and help you somehow. But it strikes me that a lot of what you're talking about um, that your organization offers uh, should be formalized through national policy, whether it's, you know, the things you do for affordability or dragging cables around to install broadband. Um, So I want to, yeah. Uh, And, you know, here in the U.S., you know, we have a a bit of a renewed uh, desire to close the digital divide. We have several billion dollars devoted to it now. Um, Do you have anything like that going on in Colombia? Yes, there's plans for closing the digital divide. And the telecoms, in theory, have these plans But I wanted to take this opportunity based on what you said to mention that I think that one of the issues with uh, bridging the divide and taking connectivity everywhere is because um, there are not innovative business models around connectivity. Mm -hmm. So a traditional telecom, if you would ask them to go into a rural area, the traditional answer will be there's not enough market, you know, because there's not enough people so it's not worth for them to take the cables and the wires and everything. But that shouldn't be the answer. The answer should be, let's think about innovative business models to take connectivity throughout the country, even in the most isolated and less populated areas. So I think that the traditional way of looking at, at, at telecoms and at connectivity has a limited the possibility mm. to create new things that are innovative, that are different. So the potential here for growth, for expansion, or for innovation is amazing. And of course, that needs a commitment from governments, local, national, international, creativity, public policy. So basically, the work and, and, and this is why Connect Humanity is so important because it drives the conversation around all these things that 
are needed yeah. for this to be sustainable and for be for really for technology to be a tool for equity. So, Chris, let me get you to weigh in on some of this then. Did you guys in your report um, identify any, you know, local or national policies uh, similar to what we've been talking about here um, that could help uh, with some of these barriers that CSOs feel and their publics are, the public is experiencing? Um, any examples from the report that would, that would help uh, with some of the issues that Catalina is talking about? Not really. We focus... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We, okay, we, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. We focused on civil society perceptions that are flags for policy issues. Right. For instance, okay. if folks felt safe online, not really. And if, for instance, there were subsidies for connecting, like the Affordable Connectivity Program in the States, no. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. of course, there are well-known concrete things that regulators and policymakers can do. I mean, one is approach digital equity holistically and develop unified strategies across ministries to coordinate on infrastructure, digital skills, and other digital equity initiatives, not treat them like they're somehow separate. We can allow universal service access funds, funds that most countries have to tackle the digital divide to include municipal and community networks, the kind of alternative models that Catalina was talking about. Mm -hmm. We can design regulation and licensing to encourage different models that are out there. Um, we put out a great report on that last year, which you're, anyone listening can find at connecthumanity.fund. And we can all remind politicians that their responsibility is to community and not lobbyists. Um, <laughs> setting the stage uh, for that is going to take a funding advocacy. And yeah. here, philanthropy really needs to get off the bench. You know, this report shows that digital equity is critical to the success of civil society and everyone it serves. Um, no matter what their mission. But our report last year on digital giving or giving to digital equity causes found that just 0.05% of giving in the US um, over the last decade has gone to any efforts in this area. Philanthropy has got to engage, has got to learn how to engage to make sure civil society has the resources they need to advocate towards the policies that are only gonna come from sort of our rights respecting and reinforcing community that might have a chance of ensuring that we have the opportunity to break digital poverty cycles. Um, and certainly more journalists can follow your lead, Nicole, in raising this issue and ensuring that people understand what's at stake. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to your point about digital equity, I, I think it's notable that the U.S. did write uh, digital equity into its infrastructure law and into the in, there is a digital equity uh, act that is to work in concert with the BEAD program. So at least it seems like we're trying it for the first time to take it seriously. TBD, how it all works out. Uh, the lobbyists are lobbying. So. <laughs> all right. So any final takeaways from the both of you, Chris, I'll start with you and Catalina, I'll close out with you. So. Chris. Sure. Uh, speak up. You know, we cannot continue making excuses for the digital divide and acting like it's somebody else's job to fix the obvious, any of us. Civil society has got to speak up for those they serve, rally behind leaders in this fight, or take leadership themselves. Philanthropy has to support that and help build markets and mechanisms where capitalism has and will continue to fail. Governments have to create an enabling environment so their economies keep up and the internet doesn't become a wedge between the haves and the have-nots. Corporations who are currently inhibiting digital inclusion, blocking families' futures in an effort to maintain inequitable models, have got 
to look at middle and longer term gains to be had by them if they act in their own enlightened self-interest for the collective. And back to the first point, citizens, all of us have got to demand our digital rights from our elected representatives. For all of those yet to be born, they have no future in our digitalizing world without digital equity. Great. Well said. And Catalina. Yeah, a couple of things. Um, I agree with Chris that CSOs should um, also advocate. And I think that it's all CSOs. So it's not only organizations like Makaya that work on technology, also organizations that work on education, on health, on culture. They should also raise their voice. And this is not happening. Everybody should raise their voice and use the NGO associations and the channels that we, we, we usually have to, to advocate for better connectivity, better quality, affordability, and for digital rights. Um, public policies, of course, we need champions from the public sector that sort of take these as their as their flag. And there's not a lot, there's not a lot of people taking this like battle because again, um, international reports tend to show that countries are more connected than they really are. And that's my last point. I think that we need more. Um, more reports, more data that show the real inequities. So those reports that show like one standard for one country, we don't need them because it's an average of the country. We need more reports that show the realities and the disparities between rural and urban men and women. And because the inequalities that exist within the countries are huge. So we need more data and information that show these realities and that serves the public policies and that also give tools to the CSOs to raise their voice even further. So I think that's that's more empowerment, I guess, is, is what we need from everybody around this topic. And, and we need to understand that this issue is not solved as many international organizations and corporations try to show us is really not solved. Um, and one last point is that we all need to be super conscious that technology is meant and digital access and digital skills are meant to reduce social gaps. But we are at an inflection point that the decisions that we make today are gonna change the future and are gonna affect if technology really reduces gaps or is gonna continue to increase gaps. Because my concern is that it's increasing gaps because those that have access have better tools and services and those that don't are further being left behind. I couldn't agree more. So well said. I want to say nothing else uh, except thank you so much, uh, both of you, for your time and for your excellent work. Um, I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks again. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for this space. My pleasure. Thank you again, Chris and Catalina, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriel, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>